many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a beautiful example we get here of the power when the gospel is preached in the Holy Spirit, right? Have you ever seen 3,000 people come to the Lord at once? If you, I mean, maybe during, maybe during the Billy Graham, you know, the, the evangelism crusades. But other than that, I've never experienced that. I don't know about you, but that would be something I would love to witness. 3,000 people giving their lives to Jesus as the gospel is shared. And what we see here as those 3,000 followers become enfolded into the church of Christ. Those next verses are a follow-up telling us what the early church's fellowship looked like. What it meant for them to live out that me identity. That collective identity as the called out covenant people of God in a very different culture world. We have a lot to learn from the early church. So basically what we're going to do today, brothers and sisters, is look at the characteristics of the early church and learn from them. Asking ourselves, is this who we are today? Sorry, I'm having issues this morning. Trying to speak, apparently. So one of the first things that we see as we read these verses of the character of the early church is that they understood their deep need for Jesus, a collective need for Jesus. Look back with me at verse 37. I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open because we're going to be returning to this a lot. Verse 37 says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, Brothers, what shall we do? This was a collective understanding that they needed the Lord. Peter says, Save yourselves from this generation. They knew it was a world from which they needed to be saved. And the words that they show here are words and actions of ones that understand their deep need for the Lord. And it doesn't end there. They don't just say, okay, thank you for the salvation, Lord. I'm really glad. Woohoo. And they go back to their regular life. What word do they use to describe what this early church was? In, that, in verse 42, what word is used to describe them? I think I heard it over here. Devoted, yes. Good morning, Orchard Hill. Let's get our voices ready. Woo! Devoted. The early church was devoted. They were saved in the name of the Lord, and they devoted themselves to the name of the Lord. Things that are very familiar to us, right? This isn't some weird thing that they did back then. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles were teaching the message of Jesus Christ and the teachings that they had heard from him. This is what we have in the word today. They were devoted to fellowship. Their fellowship looked like their collective worship coming together. They were devoted to the breaking of the bread, the language.
language here means communion. They celebrated the Lord's Supper together, and they were devoted to prayer. Sounds pretty familiar, right? What are we doing this morning? You got it, Rob. We're devoted. We're doing these things that we see the early church doing. But these men and women were committed because they realized the depth of their depravity. Peter says something really tough to them. He looks them in the face, and he says, This Jesus whom you crucified. You crucified. These were people that were alive and present at Christ's crucifixion. So Peter is saying very clearly, guilt is on you. But he follows it up with the gospel message. And in the power of the Spirit, people receive their need for the Lord, ask for salvation, and they devote themselves to learning about the goodness of God and living differently in the world. The community lives as a united we, based on their need for the Lord. What about us? What about the church today? Do we live every day as a collective community in light of our need for Jesus? in light of our brokenness, in light of where we were and what Christ saved us from. Because I think there's a danger in our culture, in America today, in this individualistic society, to say, yeah, I, I need Jesus, but I just need him a little bit, right? I just have these little parts of my life that I'm wrestling with, and I need him to help me patch up and fix up. And so many disciples of Jesus Christ have gone astray because they lack an understanding of their true deep need, that at the nature of who this community is, was a nature of enemies of God, until he redeemed us and called us out with what he did on the cross for our salvation. These people knew their need, and they point us to know our need, because Orchard Hill, without our collective need for Jesus, we have nothing to stand on in community. Without knowing that every single one of us was broken and in need of rescuing at one point, There's no reason for us to be here together, right? It's knowing this, knowing this reality that you and I were just as equally broken, which makes us able to be in community and to love one another well. A community that doesn't know their own brokenness can't love each other well because all they're going to see is the brokenness in the other. It's going to be a community of judgmental, unforgiving people. But when we know what Christ has saved us from and we know our need for him, we can stand together on that. And all other community is built around that truth. So do we, as God's people, live like the early church did, devoted to Christ and one another out of our understanding of our deep and desperate need for the Lord? The second thing this community did really well in Acts was they loved each other. They loved each other radically, and they loved each other sacrificially. So look at verse 44. The word tells us that all believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he has need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple's courts. They read in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. They saw the need of the other. And they loved each other radically by self sacrificing. Have you ever sold land, a car, canceled a vacation, maybe sold a second home, tapped into your retirement fund 
to support a brother or a sister in need? There are probably many of us in this congregation that have and do so humbly. But that is a wild, radical kind of love. And you betcha that it looks different than what was going on in the Roman culture of the day. One of the, one of the phrases of the Roman culture was conquer or be conquered. It was not a society that uplifted the other or that would sacrifice for the other. And so the people of God loving each other in this way was radical. They gave of themselves sacrificially, which pointed to their understanding of the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ for the church, right? They lived as an example of radically different sacrificial love. I have seen this happen in our own community. It's been beautiful. Things sometimes with, the, with getting on staff, you get the privilege of knowing how, how people behind the scenes without anybody else noticing are caring for one another. Deep, sacrificial, loving care is happening at this church, and I praise God for that. But I also think we stand as a collective church in the United States. Again, remember this culture of individualism. And we are in a dangerous place right now. We are in a dangerous place when it comes to our witness of radical love for each other. We're living in what's considered to be one of the most divisive times in our nation's history, are we not? We see constant disagreement, division happening, even in the most beloved fellowships. And like a sickness, this division, this fighting has made its way even into the church of Jesus Christ. Even here at Orchard Hill, I've seen it. And it, it's a, it really is a sickness, and it, it makes me sad because if the church of Jesus Christ can't love one another radically when it comes to a vaccine and disagreeing about that, if the church of Jesus Christ can't love one another radically because we can't agree on a one-sixteenth of an inch of fabric in front of our face, if the church of Jesus Christ doesn't agree politically so we can't love each other well, how are we going to love one another sacrificially when much harder times come down the road? And brothers and sisters, believe me, the word promises us that much harder times are coming down the road. Now is the time for us, much like the early church, to look at one another with sacrificial love. And yes, those other things are important, but maybe it's time for us to take those and to lay aside the less important to pick up the most important, which is our witness for Jesus Christ and the mission that he has called us to. It's time for us to love each other radically and sacrificially, even in this time of division within our nation. That's the picture that we see here of the church. It might not look like sacrificial giving. Sometimes it, sometimes it does. But maybe right now what sacrificial love looks like in the church of Jesus Christ is laying aside our right to be right. It's laying aside our right to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe and yell our opinion louder. doesn't mean you change your opinion. But instead, laying aside that right and committing to love the other, no matter what you disagree on, as long as you are grounded in the truth and the mission of Jesus Christ. Are we loving each other 
sacrificially in this way. Let that be said of us, and let us take a note from the book of Acts on how to love each other radically. Another thing that the church in the book of Acts did really well, they were committed to doing life together because they understood their need for one another. The church knew it needed the church. They met every day. Did you know that? It says that right there in the scripture. Look with me. I think it's verse 46. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day. Some of you are like, I can barely handle some of you people once a week, let alone every day. <laughs> but this was already a part of their culture. See, Judaism um, was meeting regularly every day at the temple. And so these people who had given their lives to Jesus weren't seeing themselves as separate from the Jewish faith. Instead, Jesus was the culmination, the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. So these were cultural Jews at heart. So this was already a part of their rhythm, meeting together day in and day out. Religious life was centered around the temple. So they continued to meet there as the Church of Jesus Christ. And they used those meetings and those opportunities daily to declare the gospel to their Jewish brothers and sisters who didn't know the Lord yet. They met every day and they did mission together, essentially, every day as they met. And outside of those religious communal practices, they opened their homes to one another. That's what that verse continues to say. They broke bread in their homes. The language there, they're not talking about the Lord's Supper. They're talking about a meal. So that person in the pew next to you, they let, they let them into their home. As weird as they might be, they let them into their home. They broke bread together. They spent life life on life together. It was beautiful. This commitment to community wasn't a burden for them. It was a joy. It said that. Verse 47 says they praised God. And verse 46 said they did so with glad and sincere hearts. They didn't look and say, I guess we're going to have to handle sitting next to them again on Sunday. They said, yes, brother and sister, I need you. We're doing life together, and I'm excited to be here with you. Their love for one another shown to the community as they did life on life, not just once a week for an hour on Sunday morning. They did it day in and day out, religious practices and just encouragement and discipleship. And the reason they did this, Orchard Hill, is because they understood their need for one another. The church knew it needed each other. See, in the first century, when you, were a, when you became a Christian and you gave your life to Jesus, there weren't 50 churches on every block. You couldn't go to Jenison and, and go to eight different churches within a block of each other. It's not like it is in the United States when there's a lot of cultural Christianity happening. If you were from the Jewish background, from a Roman background, if you were a Parthian, a Scythian, a Mede, you came with your own cultural heritage and your own cultural values. And those were ingrained into your way of life. And when you became a Christian in the first century, you laid those things down at the foot of a cross and you picked up a new culture, the culture of the church of Jesus Christ, a culture of disciples who make disciples. And there was no cultural Christianity in that day. Picking up that cross as you laid down your old life meant you had a mark on your back that was a target. Even though these verses sound really happy, they ate together in their homes and everybody was happy. 
We know chapters from now, the great persecution is coming against the church. And they are about to be scattered and hunted down and killed. This was the life they took up. It wasn't a life when the emperor was going to be glad of what they were doing and not worshiping him. It wasn't a life where the Roman citizens were going to encourage them to look dramatically different. It wasn't a life the culture understood, but it was one they'd be killed for, they'd be ostracized for, and they'd be ridiculed in. Who else did they have but the family of God? They needed one another to be sharpened as disciples and to be able to do the difficult task of laying down their old life and picking up their cross, sometimes literally, and following Jesus daily. They needed one another, and they knew that, and so they lived and they breathed life together. What about us? When the world looks at us, brothers and sisters, does it see a community of people that understand their deep and their desperate need for one another? I think the last year has tested that for us, hasn't it? As I was writing this, I wrote the last six months, and then I realized, wow, it really is almost March again. It's been a year since this pandemic came into play, and our meeting times have been radically different with each other. We've been challenged as a community on, on how to show our witness of commitment to one another and how to be encouraged as disciples as we have had to do virtual gatherings. Has it been difficult for anyone? It's been difficult for me. So just me and Marlene? Okay, cool. Has it been difficult for anybody? Okay, 50% of us, the rest of us are fine. Um, it has been difficult but I also want to take a minute to praise God and say it's been beautiful. I got to do Zoom lobbies with some of you, the most awkward way to start a Sunday morning in the world, but they were beautiful. <laughs> some of you have sent me pictures of your small group meeting together online over Zoom and your individual little boxes smiling awkwardly together. You've made phone calls to each other. You've stayed connected by playing the flock play games together for like three months on Kahoot. Thanks, Rebecca, for the, for the access to that. It's been beautiful to see how so many right here in this church family have refused to allow what's happening in the world to keep them from community, whether it's face-to-face -face or virtual and beautiful. And I just want to praise the Lord for that. But I also think we're at the point, a year now almost, living with this virus. We're, we're in danger of starting to do something that God's word warns us against. In Hebrews 10, verses 24 to 25, it says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. I just want to challenge us, whether we're here this morning or we're at home, equally I want to challenge us. Are we guilty of giving up that community life that we so desperately need for each other because we've gotten an easy rhythm during COVID? Whether that's really loving our cup of coffee on the couch on Sunday morning, <laughs> or it's because you can exercise on Sunday while you watch the service, or do the dishes, maybe. 
And I know there are plenty of people in our community that are home because of the risk of illness. I'm not talking to you. Although I do want to encourage you, find a way to be committed to deep discipleship. I'm talking to those of us who have fallen into the rhythm of not meeting together. And it doesn't just mean Sunday morning, right? When we look at the lives of the community of the church in the early church, it wasn't a once a week Sunday morning. Maybe for you, the challenge is how can you get connected in a group? Maybe for you, the challenge is how can you serve the church? Maybe for you, the challenge is you have not been consistent in just loving your close friends within the church, those brothers and sisters that need your encouragement. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I want to challenge us as a congregation as Orchard Hill not to get in the habit of not meeting together. Let's not do that, brothers and sisters. I think that's where Satan is trying to pull the church at large in America today. Because the reality is, and I think the reality is for you too, I have never seen a Christian do life well alone. Have you? I have never seen someone walk away from the church for whatever reason, whether they got to a stage in their life where they just felt like, hey, I can, I can sustain this on my own for a little while. I've got stuff going on at home. We've got little kids, or I'm not feeling great all the time. Whatever the reason is, I have never seen a Christian walk away from that desperate need they have for the community of Christ and come better off for it. Never once. The only spiritual growth that I've seen during that happening is people understanding their need for the church. As Christians, we can't afford the arrogance that we can do this life on our own. We cannot afford to be so arrogant as to say, I can follow Jesus by myself. Because that is a really perfect place for Satan to start coming at you. You're not surrounded by brothers and sisters who know you, who know what's going on in your life, and can speak truth to you when the time comes for a rebuke. It's an easy place for you to accidentally wander into sin and to have no one to point you back and to point out what's happening in your life. It's a place where it's really easy to get lazy and complacent in our faith with no, no one spurring us on toward love and good deeds, like Hebrews says. No one standing around us to encourage us to run the race with, with perseverance. It's a place where false doctrine really easily sneaks in when we don't have a community of faith studying the word together and pointing us to truth. The early church knew this danger. And so they lived life in community together. Jesus Christ, the one who is our example for faith, the one who we are following, did life with 12 other men. How dare we think we can do it alone? Because Jesus set the church up in such a way that it was to be together. It needed one another. How can we spend our lives as disciples avoiding the thing that Christ gave us life for? We need to recognize our temptation maybe right now, specifically at this moment in history, to get into the habit of not meeting together and to fight that in every way we can. We also can't afford... This is a hard thing to say. We can't afford the selfishness of those in the church who think they can do it on their own. As we just said, we know we can't do it on our own. 
We need people to rebuke us, to shape us. Iron sharpens iron. There's a reason we're in community. Our mission is collective. But even if we could, which we can't, even if we could, we can't afford that selfish attitude. Because brother and sister, we need you. You might think you can be fine on your own. You can't. You might think you can. But the reality is, it's just not about you. Church is not a place where we come and we sit back and we consume like we're watching a television show. Church is a living community of the body of Christ that needs one another. I don't know what your gifts are. I don't know what Christ has called you to, but there is a place in this church that needs those gifts. We need you. Someone needs you to disciple them. Someone needs to hear the testimony you have to speak. Revelation 12:11 says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimonies. You can't testify if you're not present with the body of Christ. We cannot afford the selfishness of Christians thinking they're set, they can do it on their own because you are needed by someone else in this body just like you need them. We are called to be people that live as a we. And the really beautiful thing is when we do this well, when we live as the early church lived and we embody that communal identity faithfully, you know what happens? The world notices. Look at the last verse in our section today, verse 47. It says, They praised God, enjoyed the favor of all people, and everyone read this last, this last line with me. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Daily. Daily. People looked at the community of God. And when they lived that out faithfully as the church, a natural witness happened. And people came to know the Lord. People were drawn in by that kind of radical love. People were drawn in by that kind of humility saying, I need Jesus and I need his people. And as they were drawn in, the Lord used that to bring people to salvation in him. They saw God's movement. The church in that day, we're told, one scholar puts it, life was lived in front of the neighbors. (laughs) In the first century, there was no hiding. You were on the roads with people. There was no commuting in your own car. You were walking next to them. There weren't nuclear family homes where everyone had their own room, a ring doorbell so they didn't have to talk to anyone at the front door and fences around their yard. It was big community homes of extended family members living together, and inside the neighborhood there was very little privacy. Life was lived in front of the neighbors, and so the church of Jesus Christ, living as it was called to, produced a natural witness for everyone to see. And people were invited in, and they gave their lives daily to Jesus. Is that what we do at Orchard Hill? We have some challenges because we do have our own cars. We don't walk a road together. We have fences. We commute. How many of us live more than five minutes away from Orchard Hill? We commute to work. Yeah, Bob, no, you don't. We commute to work. We commute to church. We commute everywhere to our social gatherings. So it's not set up in reality as nicely as it was for the early church. So maybe a question for you today is, how can you live your life in maybe a radical way where you tear down the fences of your yard and you invite people into life with you and you let them see what it looks like to be the church of Jesus Christ? That is our calling. 
First Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Jesus identified us. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And finally, the Apostle Paul in Philippians tells us, do everything without grumbling or arguing so you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And listen to this. Because when you live like that, church, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. This kind of living, faithfully as the church, produces a witness to the goodness of Jesus Christ that we cannot deny. Is that the way you and I are living together? It doesn't look like once a week on a Sunday morning. That's part of it. It involves radical love and deep commitment to the Lord and to one another. We cannot do this on our own. And right now, always, but especially with what's going on right now, we can't afford to lose that witness. Because the world needs to see an option for another way. In a time of division, in a time of depression running rampant, in a time where the world feels so hopeless, we have to live that vision for the world to see our witness as the Church of Christ and to invite them to know Jesus Christ, the only and the better way. And when we do that, like Philippians says, we shine like stars in the universe. This is the North Star. It's called Polaris, one of the brightest stars that we see in the sky. Beautiful, isn't it? How many of you have ever tried to use a North Star to navigate your way somewhere? I used to try to do that. Oh, maybe I'm just weird. I used to try to do that when I was a kid. <laughs> it's beautiful. But the reality is, no one stays up late at night, drives hours and hours to a dark sky park to look at a single star, the northern star. But they will drive hours and hours, stay up late, and go on an adventure to see a sky full of stars. That's who we are. You're not one North Star rogue individual Christian. We are the body of Christ. And when we do life faithfully as the body of Christ, people stand in awe of something greater. They see a collective shining universe full of stars that's not about me. It's a collective we. And in the end, it points to something even greater and gives glory to him, Jesus Christ. And that's our mission, church, to glorify God and to make him known as we engage.